if the tax office decides to use a barrister, then they automatically offer you funding because they're paying for legal services externally. It's to keep it fair. But when they pay for their barrister, they pay their barrister the full fees. They don't pay them a subsidy, obviously. So it's still not balanced. But it was automatically offered because the tax office had hired a barrister for the case. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to episode 382 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to DocuSign for sponsoring this episode. In the last episode, Adam Amet mentioned the Small Business Litigation Fund. In his court case at the AAT about Bitcoin, he had received funding from this scheme. And in fact, I had heard about this fund before, a couple of years ago, about three or four years ago, well before COVID. I was talking with an accountant who specializes in the adult industry, who specializes in sole traders that operate in the adult industry. And we were discussing how difficult it is to find the line between private and business expenses in this industry. So, for example, he mentioned Botox injections, facelifts, implants, etc., And these are usually a private expense, but there is an argument to be had that these are business expenses when they clearly reside in additional business revenue and were done for a business purpose. And this accountant mentioned that the ATO is very keen to clear up the confusion in this industry, a very justified confusion because the line is very gray. So the accountant mentioned that the ATO is very interested in having a court ruling on this to create more clarity. And he said the ATO would cover the legal cost. And I found that hard to believe. So I googled it after we had stopped talking after the talk. And he was right. There is a fund for this. If there was a taxpayer happy to test the ATO on this question, there would be funding from this small business litigation fund if you apply. The ATO website says that you can apply for funding of reasonable cost if you self-represent in the AAT against the ATO and the ATO has legal counsel to create a level playing field. The devil, of course, is in the term reasonable cost. What is reasonable? What the ATO thinks reasonable is might not be what you actually incur in cost. And you will hear from Adam Amet that this was a big issue. So when Adam Amet mentioned the Small Business Litigation Fund in the last episode about Bitcoin, my ears pricked up because Adam has actually gone through the process and got paid by the fund. So here's Adam about how this all worked out for him and how much or how little the Small Business Litigation Fund actually paid. And what amount are we talking? Were we talking? I see. So we were just talking a few hundred dollars. Oh, it's like, I think it was like $1,500 or something like that. Yeah. So how can it be worse for the taxpayer? So $1,500 at a 25% tax rate, you're talking, I don't know, mess is not good, three or $400, $375 if you want to be exact. How can it be worth engaging a solicitor? to dispute three or $400 in tax debt? Well, it's actually not really worth it, obviously. The tax office, they have this program for funding certain types of cases. And so this case fell under that funding. What's the name? I've heard that before. What's the name for that? There's a small business litigation funding, which they do sometimes. And using that scheme is a whole other 
based, which I didn't appreciate at the time, because it's not really funding, it's actually more of a subsidy. But that's like a side story that I could talk about for a very long time. (laughs) So the taxpayer engaged you thinking that the small business litigation funding would cover your fees. And then it turns out they actually didn't cover it. They covered 5%, 10%. How much did they actually cover? They cover a proportion, yeah. Yes, that's exactly what they thought. That's what I thought too. So I actually agreed, yeah, I'll take it on and get paid out of the funding. But the funding's actually, it's calculated by reference to a complicated federal court scale, which is based on, best way of explaining it is like this, when you run a court case against someone else and the the loser pays the winner's legal fees, but the loser doesn't pay all the legal fees, they pay like a proportion. It's kind of like, you know, when you use your health insurance and you go to the dentist and just swipe the card and hope for the best, it pays some of it, there's always a gap. So the system is designed for there to be a gap. What the tax office does is they use that calculation so there's always a gap. But they tell the taxpayer is we'll pay all your legal fees. And they tell us you'll pay all your legal fees. But then when it comes to actually paying, they say, oh, we use this formula. But that formula always has a gap. Yeah, how high is this gap? I think that they pay roughly somewhere between 40 and 50% of the fees. So the gap is half or a bit more than half. That is quite substantial. Yeah, because when they do the calculation, they calculate, they use the calculation with the gap, but they also don't apply it to all of the work. So what they'll do is they'll look at the timesheet and they'll say, look, you spoke to the client for an hour, but we think you should have spoke to the client for half an hour only, even though they weren't there and they don't know what the conversation was about. And so we'll pay you half an hour and then they apply on top of that those principles which reduces it even further. So they kind of second guess. The first step is they take out a chunk of the work that you do. And the items that they pick that they'll fund, you can't run the case without doing those things. So you can't run the case without talking to the client. Like if you ask the client questions, um, you might say to the client, okay, can you explain this and that and whatever you did? They might say, well, we're not going to fund that because the client's accountant should have prepared the tax return with all the work papers that answer those questions already. So by you writing to them and asking them questions, you're actually incurring legal costs that we don't want to fund because it should have been done by the accountant. I think they have this assumption that the accountant, you know, when they do a tax return, prepares the tax return as though they're going to court with like witness statements and everything. <laughs> so it's it's just a bizarre experience. Given what you just said, that they actually take chunks of work completely out of the calculation, is it still 40 to 50% that they cover of all the work or is it 40 or 50% of the work they deem necessary? It works out as probably about 40% of the total work of the total. Who covered the gap in your case, the other 60%? Were you then just not paid for the other 60%? Yeah, that's unfortunately how it worked out. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we did try to appeal it and all of that, but it just wasn't worth that level of effort in the end because they were pretty determined not to pay. Okay, that's good to know because I had heard of this small business litigation funding. I had heard about that with respect to a different tax case. It's good to know that it actually doesn't pay quite a bit. We're lucky because one of the lawyers who works here actually is an expert at legal costs because he used to work as a legal costing expert. and so. Actually, with his help, the claim works out probably better than it otherwise would. But to give you an indication, it probably takes like an hour to do, not an hour, uh, one day to do an invoice. 
a whole day, seven hours to do an invoice in the form the tax office asks, because there's actually a lot of ways for them to reduce the cost. One is obviously they apply the rules, which by default will reduce the amount they pay. Then they'll selectively pick items they want to fund and not fund. But then also by making it very difficult to put in an invoice, like if every business has to spend seven hours doing one invoice, like that's ridiculous. You and a high level of expertise, it becomes difficult. So there's all these different things which cause you to end up getting paid for a small amount. I think that um, if it weren't for my colleague here who knows about costs quite well, I think we probably would have got like 10 or 20% probably. Because <laughs> to do a compliant bill, like for example, with an email, they pay the email based on the word count. So you have to count the number of words for each email that you send. And yeah, it's just, there's like an item of scales. That whatever you do, you have to find that in one of those items and then apply that rate and it becomes a very complicated calculation. The amount is different if you send the email versus if you receive the email. And then sometimes they want copies of all of that. It's just a lot of administration. So that means as a result, probably very few solicitors, accountants, specialists agree to be paid out of the small business liquidation funding, correct? Well, I think what they probably do is they say to the client, you pay me. And then if you get something from the funding, you can, you know, get that back. But someone has to pay the gap and they probably agree with people who's paying the gap to, at the start. And you just didn't know, so hence you didn't agree this. You just said, yeah, everything comes out of the fund for me. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Everyone has to get burned sometime. So that mm. was my um, lesson. That was my experience. Yeah. <laughs> But it's good to know because I had heard about this fund. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, But I mean, it's better than nothing. But I think when the taxpayer like should probably know that it's only a subsidy because the tax office doesn't say it that way. They tell them, I'll pay for your reasonable legal costs, but it's all in the fine print. So if, if they're thinking, okay, I've got a debt of 20,000, it's going to be funded, maybe I'll get a lawyer. That's probably not the smart idea because they'll have the gap. The tax office won't pay that gap. And the gap probably is more than the tax debt, so you're probably better off just paying the bill. The ATO basically encouraged the taxpayer to take this to the AAT because they wanted to have a showcase that basically affirms their position. So they probably encouraged the taxpayer to go to the AAT, correct? And then they pointed at this fund saying it won't cost you anything and then in the end you were the one getting burned. Was that how it was? Or was the uh, taxpayer very, very keen to go to the AAT to sort this out? I think the taxpayer originally would just go to the AAT, but just have a go and just not with a lot of effort and just see what happens. That was probably what was the original plan. But I think the funding sort of happens automatically because with a small business funding, if the tax office decides to use a barrister, then they automatically offer you funding because they're paying for legal services externally. So it's to keep it fair. But when they pay for their barrister, they pay their barrister the full fees. They don't pay them a subsidy, obviously. So it's still not balanced. But it was automatically offered because the tax office had hired a barrister for the case. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, DocuSign. When it comes to tax talks, I'm no podcaster, but I am an accountant. And every day I advise on claims and deductions. Trouble is, I hadn't been looking after my own business. Well, with the government's tech rebate ending soon, I signed up to DocuSign and I've gone 100% digital. It streamlined everything from onboarding to invoices. Now I kind of wish I'd taken my own advice sooner. Sign up for your free trial at docusign.com.au. Next time, DocuSign. Welcome back. 
The Small Business Litigation Fund is only for legal counsel, only for solicitor fees. In fact, accountants are specifically excluded. Fees for accounting are specifically excluded, and I assume that also covers tax agents. So the lesson from all this today is that if the ATO takes your client to the AAT, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, or to be more specific, the Small Business Taxation Division of the AAT, and the ATO then offers your client to get lawyer representation funded by the Small Business Litigation Fund, then you know to warn your client. You need to ask your client, who covers the gap? Because there will be a gap. The solicitor you talk to might suggest that your client pays the solicitor in full and then gets reimbursed by the fund. So you need to warn your client that the refund might be just 10 or 20% of actual cost. NMA had made it to 40% because another lawyer well-versed in legal cost helped him. And all this is just the legal cost. Then there are your fees to support the solicitor and client as the accountant or tax agent who pays for your time. So make sure all this is clear when one of your clients has to go to the small business taxation division of the AAT so that everybody knows what payments are coming their way and nobody gets left out in the rain as Adam did. Now, before we part, I just want to play you a fireside chat that I had with Adam after my last interview with him. It is about super and the late payment of super. As you know, we did an episode last year episode 275 about the late payment of super. And so when I spoke with Adam about the uh, small business litigation fund, he asked me about this problem and how it went. The problem was that the client had paid the super for director wages. They had paid it, but far too late. And so the ATO had requested an SGC statement. And so this is what Adam will ask me about. Now, please remember that neither of us prepared for this topic. It is just a casual chat where we bounce around some ideas, not all of them well thought through. But if you currently have a problem with a client around late super and SGC, then maybe you find this helpful. Maybe it gives you some food for thought. How did you go with super SGC thing in the end? I redid all payroll. I went back because it was director payroll. I could do it. I redid all the pay runs, everything, and completely took wage payments out and then did an unfranked Division 7A dividend instead because the potential penalty for super was so much higher than, you know, than the loss of franking credits. Yeah, that's right. And did the ATO accept that? They haven't come back. So I lodged the SGC statement, completely everything with zero, and they haven't come back yet. Oh, okay. Is there an auditor allocated or was it still at the early stage? Yeah, it was early stage of the letter. We didn't have an auditor yet. Okay. Does that mean you had to redo the single-touch payroll and all that too? Yeah, I redid the single-touch payroll. I redid all the best. It was three days of work. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Mm, Yeah. But I just got scared about the whole of super. But So that means they have big super payments now that they didn't have to pay. So they don't have to pay super for a while. Yeah, okay. So hopefully that fixed the problem and didn't create a bigger problem. I don't know. Yeah, it's just difficult with that, you know. Mm. I mean, as long as they accept it. I, I have another client as well who's a large chunk of their SGC is for themselves and their husband. 
but it's already in the tribunal, you know. And yeah, um, yeah, then it's harder to change it. Yeah, that's not. It was a really good lesson. So now I'm really onto emailing clients, telling them, you know, don't worry about best, don't worry about income tax, but pay your super, pay your super. Yeah, it's just. Mm. I think super has got a special place in the heart of the tax law for some reason in the government. Yes. They just want people to pay it and they just punish them for not paying it. Yeah, because they don't distinguish between director super, you know, basically related party super and third party super. So I completely understand that they are so tough on third party super, but in the process, director super also gets a massive. I mean, it is strange, isn't it? The tax office does keep the penalty, but to say, okay, find the director didn't pay themselves. It's it's mm. kind of like there's this, all these laws have an underlying assumption, like the crypto one, the underlying assumption is that no one uses crypto. But I think with the superannuation one, the underlying assumption is that the businesses have the money to pay the super, including for the directors, but they choose not to, which is not usually the case. Usually they don't have the money. That's why they ended up not paying the super. But I think there's that underlying assumption that all businesses are profitable. And recently I've noticed that um, the tax office has started to take the view that, um, you know, if you're not a profitable business, you should just shut down. You know, I've, I've been hearing that from them more recently than in the past. So either you're making these profits or just don't operate. When you're employing people and you can't pay their super. With paying super, but also just in general with all taxes, GST and everything, hmm. and PAYG. They just say, well, why do they keep running the business if they don't have the money to pay the PAYG or the super or the GST? Hmm. Hmm. You know, they should just close down. I think the yeah, solution nowadays is to make the director a contractor. Then you don't have super, you don't have pays, you go withholding. And then with a contractor, you if it's contract for labor, then that still has super on it. Yeah, because yeah. you know SG the definition of employee yeah, yeah, yeah. for SGC because the director is not really a contractor. The director is an employee. You know the way they are acting, they're running the business, so they're clearly not a contractor. I agree with you. I've seen the tax office accept it that the director could be a contractor before. You mm. know, like I had another client who um, he runs his company and was getting paid a wage and then he was paying the rent for his private home out of the company money which normally is just fringe benefits tax it's either fringe benefit or is a division 7a problem that's right but the tax office was saying actually that's part of his wages and he needs to pay super on that mm. which is pretty strange i think because when then we said well it's a fringe benefit and they said well Because you didn't register for fringe benefits tax, it means it's not a fringe benefit. And I said, does that mean that I can get out of paying FPT by not registering for it? Mm. It doesn't. It's either FPT or not, and then you have to register. It's not like you choose to pay FPT by registering, because then no one will pay FPT. No one will register for FPT. But they are taking that position. With small business, you constantly have the issue of private expenses in companies. It could be an, a fringe benefit. It could be a Division 7A loan. It could be a wage and it could be a dividend. Yeah, it could be any number of things. But it's really a fringe benefit. I mean, obviously, we would prefer to be Division 7A and no distributable surplus. But I think in reality, it's actually fringe benefit. You know, you can't pay your personal rent direct to the real estate agent and say that that's not a fringe benefit. I mean, that's the stock standard Typical yeah. fringe benefit, you know, where you pay for some personal expense using the company's money, right? Some people will put that into direct loan or something like that instead. But then, like you said, then it's a Division 7A issue. Either way, there's no super.
Welcome back. I hope you found that useful. I had to cut out quite a bit of the fireside chat because in the end it turned out to be too confidential. I sent it to Adam and then Adam said, you know, cut this out and cut that out. So not so much was left over in the end. But I hope you still found the bit that I was able to give you. I hope you still found that useful. But also because I had to cut so much out, I have tucked it into Tuesday today so that you don't go a full week with just a little bit of content. Next week, we will speak with David Fitzgerald of Factor One and Techopedia about the uh, tech stack in his accounting practice and how he changed the tech stack of his accounting practice over the past six years. Techopedia and Factor One together have a turnover of $4.2 million, dollars, so not a small accounting practice. 46 team members, a third of that overseas in the Philippines, so still quite a lot in Australia. So will be interesting. We will hear each other next week. Thank you for listening and thank you to DocuSign for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.